You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. We are into it. December. It is Tuesday, December 5th. Talking Pirates baseball today with Adam Barry, our Buckos reporter for MLB.com. Adam, as always, we thank you for the time. And uh, Adam, the Pirates, uh, unfortunately, one of 23 big league teams who were basically told thanks but no thanks uh, by the representatives for Japanese phenom Shohei Otani. He has narrowed his list to uh, seven teams, and uh, the majority of those West Coast teams and the Pirates last I checked are certainly not that. So, Adam, there's varying degrees of uh, disappointment from the teams eliminated in the Otani sweepstakes, if you will. So, Give me the Pirates' reaction. I mean, did they did they really go into this, you know, guns blazing, thinking we got a great shot at this, or were they kind of lukewarm on the pursuit? You know, how I guess how disappointed are they that they did not make the final list of Otani's uh, seven preferred destinations? No, they were actually pretty disappointed. I think they thought they had a decent shot to sell uh, Shohei Otani on Pittsburgh as much as anything uh, from some of the people that I've spoken to. Uh, The Pirates' pitch, had they had a shot in person to speak with them, would have been largely focused around, uh, you know, the idea of playing in Pittsburgh, a smaller market. It seems like Otani is not really a big spotlight guy, you know, even as much as he's been in it. He's kind of low-key as a person. They saw some similarities between uh, Pittsburgh and his hometown, his home region, uh, that they thought would go over really well with him. Um, And coincidentally, I looked it up, and the capital city of his home prefecture it's also a city located in the confluence of three rivers, much like Pittsburgh. Wow. So that would have been a pretty decent selling point as well. Um, I think more importantly than anything, though, is that Shohei Otani is a potentially, uh, you know, like a nine-figure type talent that they would have been able to get for the $20 million posting fee and basically a pittance. So they were pretty disappointed about that. Not necessarily surprised. Um, seems like his preference is to play out west, but uh, they were proud of their effort just little upset they weren't able to finally land him yeah it just it seems you know odd that uh not that he's narrowed this list down to seven teams but that he's done it so quickly I mean he was he was only posted you know not even a week ago and here we are 23 teams have been told you know uh I'm I'm not going there and seven teams which the Pirates are not among them have been told that they still have a shot so Adam at this point you know now that the Pirates and the fan base have accepted that they're not going to have Otani uh, in the Steel City in 2018. Is it fair to say that all Pirates fans care about now is that he does not sign with the Cubs because they're the only uh, team that does not play in the West Division that still has a shot at signing him? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Basically, anywhere but Chicago seems to be the uh, the consensus in Pittsburgh right now. I think they, you know, obviously prefer to see him in the American League, just completely out of the picture because you know the Giants, if they were to go out and add Otani, or if they were to somehow do the unthinkable Orlando Tani and Stanton, that would not only complicate, you know, the NL West picture, but therefore would complicate the wild card picture, which mm-hmm. would uh, affect the Pirates and, and any chance they might have of contending, not just next year, but, you know, for the next couple of years. So I think the Pirates would probably rather see him in the American League at this point, but the one place they certainly don't want to see him is in Chicago. Uh, I, that's the one that sort of sticks out as the unusual team left in that that seven-team mix. I guess the only thing they all have in common uh, is that they train, they do spring training in Arizona, and that's certainly one thing the Pirates couldn't do in their pursuit of Shohei Otani is move themselves to the West Coast and move their spring training facility from Bradenton, Florida. Uh, But I I think at this point, people are hoping to see him. You know, maybe Seattle. I think everybody would be be happy for Seattle if if that were the case. Maybe Texas even. Follow up in Hugh Darvish's footsteps. That'd be a neat move. 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think Seattle seems to be the front runner in terms of uh, the general consensus among the the average baseball fan. Obviously, following in uh, Ichiro's footsteps, who had such a successful stint uh, with the Mariners after he came over from Japan. But uh, we'll see where Otani ends up. Uh, but we do know that uh, he's not going to end up in Pittsburgh along with uh, 22 other big league cities. Adam, I want to get your take on uh, Otani just to kind of wrap up uh, his discussion. We've heard so much about him, you know, the the triple-digit fastball, the the power from the left side of the plate. He can, he can do it all. He can, you know, when he's not pitching, he can hit. When he's not hitting, he can pitch, and so on and so forth. Are you buying into the hype, or do you think it's a little bit overblown? Uh, I'm buying into the hype, if only, I think, because I want it to be real. I really want to see a guy do that, because I think it would be game-changing, uh, you know, for baseball. All of a sudden, if you have some kid coming out of high school who is this team starting shortstop who could hit and he was also a you know a pitcher whether it's a one inning reliever or a starter does that become more realistic uh, you know just going into the future with these prospects and I mean hidden value and you know finding value on the margins is critical for a team like the Pirates somebody you know anybody in smaller markets essentially and I think there's a lot of value to be derived out of a player like Otani who would fill you know multiple gaps and multiple holes on your team with one kind of cost controlled affordable guy and I think the Padres showed some signs of that I was really into the Christian Betancourt thing where he was going to be the the true 25th man whatever it was catcher reliever uh, type deal so uh, I'm intrigued I I think it seems like the tools would suggest he's going to be a much better pitcher uh, over here in the in in the majors than he will be a hitter just based on the strikeout rate and how hard it is to hit major league pitching but I don't know I'm curious to see how it all, all works out and I think that's going to be something that pretty much everybody in baseball follows with with great interest next season, no matter where he lands. Yeah, I agree. Now, the flip side of having a guy that can, you know, hit and pitch is that if that one guy gets hurt, well, (laughs) you you take a hit to your rotation and your lineup at the same time when one guy goes down. So there is some some risk uh, in that regard, but I think it's a risk that a lot of teams – would be more than willing to take on. We'll see what Altani does in a big league uniform here in uh, 2018. Adam, uh, shifting gears a little bit, the Pirates made some new hires in their coaching and their scouting ranks uh, in recent days, and you wrote how the Pirates have been actually without an official pro scouting director or an international scouting director in recent seasons. Is that is that rare? Are there other teams like the Pirates that did not necessarily you know have those positions and – to kind of piggyback that, how much of a priority was it for the Pirates to fill those roles uh, heading into 2018? Yeah, it's pretty rare. Uh, most More often than not, you're going to see a team with a pro scouting director or at least somebody who is in charge of you know accumulating all the reports and processing all that information and then relaying it up to your assistant GM, your general manager, or, or what have you. In, in the past, Tyrone Brooks kind of held that role. He was the director of player personnel. So he was in charge of domestic scouting and then non-Latin American international scouting. But then he left to head MLB's diversity pipeline program after the 2015 season, and they never really replaced him. They'd kind of been doing it informally and, you know, just sort of, you know, as it, as it was able to be done, basically, in the Pirates' front office. So uh, that was certainly a priority. Neil Huntington actually mentioned when he signed his extension with the Pirates in September that, you know, there were some demands that he had, uh, you know, as far as how they did things in the process uh, in the front office. And nobody has come out and said this on the record, but my sense is that this sort of reorganization was part of that. Their hand was forced a little bit because Latin American scouting director Renee Gallo had to be dismissed following some uh, investigation uh, from Major League Baseball. So 
So that's where Junior Vizcaino came in as the international scouting director, not just Latin America. He's in charge of the global efforts, basically overseeing their, you know, their Asian scouts, their European scouts, their uh, Latin American scouts. And then Steve Williams is going to come in and basically just oversee the, uh, you know, domestic scouts and, you know, claim those reports and, and file them up the, up the front office chain of command. So I think just a more organized process was important for the Pirates. And in part, it's a, it's a bigger front office because the game has become so uh, data-driven and information-driven. And that's not just analytics. That's just information. You know, a scouting report is information. And you need more minds, you need more bodies to process that kind of stuff and put it in a way that makes sense and then get it to the decision makers. So I think it's pretty important that the Pirates put people that they trust uh, in those roles, and Junior Vizcaino comes from outside the organization, but he's got a really impressive resume. That's a guy who kind of has been building toward this point for his entire career, and then uh, they really like Stevie within their organization. He's been a long-time scout, long-time major league scout, so he makes sense there. They also, kind of along those same lines, they made Justin Message their assistant pitching coach, which is a pretty interesting role because that's where Ray Searage uh, got his start before he took over for uh, Joe Kerrigan here in Pittsburgh. And from talking to Neil Huntington, it sounds like most of that job is going to be preparation. It's going to be working with pitchers and catchers, starters, relievers, et cetera, before the game, devising scouting reports and things like that. And, you know, information has become so important in this game that that's basically a job in and of itself. Ray Searage gets so much credit for what he's able to do mechanically, but it's hard to do that while also doing the scouting reports and running through the data, the heat maps and all that stuff. So, I think this just sort of organizes their process a little bit better, uh, which is a little bit of a focus heading into this offseason before they even get into the whole transactional part of the hot stove. It's just improving their process so that it can be better and more efficient. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing nowadays. You know, you cannot have enough data, information, scouting reports, you know, eyes on the ground around the globe. Uh, it's just, it's it's crazy. It's a, it's a 365-day-a-year process, and the Pirates are ramping up those efforts to find those hidden gems, uh, which they certainly pride themselves on. And, uh, Adam, to wrap up here, we're looking back at some previous uh, wheelings and dealings from uh, past years at the winter meetings, which get underway in earnest uh, this Sunday. So take us back to 2006 and a little saga involving uh, Mike Gonzalez and uh, Adam LaRoche. Yeah, this is before my time. I actually went back to our uh, our Pirates.com beat writer at the time, Ed Eagle, who's still the editorial producer here at MLB.com, and asked him for, for his memories on this. And, you know, it was a, a fairly prominent trade of pretty valuable assets at the time. Mike Gonzalez and Adam LaRoche, you know, the Braves needed a, a late-inning reliever. The Pirates wanted a, a, some left-handed power at the corner. Uh, and apparently the deal was agreed to at the winter meetings, as reported by our own Ed Eagle and Mark Bowman, but then it was pulled back. Uh, through some drama there, I guess, that happened. And it wasn't completed for another month uh, in the end. And, you know, it was a, a, a decent little acquisition for the Pirates. Adam LaRoche was a solid first baseman for a while, not for very good teams, unfortunately. But, you know, he was kind of a presence there. You look back now, and he was the last first baseman to start on back on consecutive opening days for the Pirates. So, you know, it was an acquisition that worked out well for them. Uh, it just sort of took a little longer than they expected to get there. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how some of these deals go down. You know, the the average fan watching at home just sees it, you know, scroll across their screen and okay, we got this guy or we lost that guy, but 
the the uh, back the backroom dealings sometimes are the more fascinating part of these uh, trades and these transactions. And uh, Adam, that is certainly a good one there and a good place to wrap up. Adam Barry, our Pirates reporter, joining us here on this Tuesday. Adam, we thank you so much, and we'll do it again next week. In the meantime, Matt Waymeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs>